0: I'm grateful I can join you by video this morning, although I recognize this is not the most ideal way in which I can communicate with you. Trust me, I'd rather be there with you in person today. But many of you know that over the last few days my family's dealt with COVID-19. That is, one of my children tested positive for COVID a few days ago, and the rest of us have been in quarantine since. Now, thankfully, all of us are doing great. Everybody is good. But we are trying to take it seriously. We're trying to make sure that we're providing the best worship context, the safest worship context for you. And that is the reason I've chosen not to be there today, but instead deliver a message to you from the book of Revelation. You see, God has given me a message. It's in my heart. It's in my bones. And I want to give it to you today. And hopefully and prayerfully it will encourage you. It's in Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through 20. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we began a series from the book of Revelation. Revelation is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So when you go through this book, you see Jesus. You see a picture of him. And hopefully this morning, as we come together, we can see him clearly. Because as we look forward to the coming of Jesus, as we look forward to the seeing of Jesus one day, we know that we also can see him now. The unveiling. Most of the time when you talk about Revelation, you are talking about the second coming. Even in verse 7 of that first chapter, it had talked about how every eye would see Jesus return one day. But for us, we know that Jesus is coming back, and yes, we anticipate that. Like Romans chapter 8 verse 19, all creation itself stands eagerly awaiting the coming Of Jesus we do that as well but as I said we get to know Jesus now and you and I can see a picture of him now look if you will again at Revelation chapter 1 in these verses today John describes a vision of Jesus it describes who Jesus is and what he looks like and it is astounding look if you will in verse 9 it says I John Both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here's John writing. And John says, I am writing to you from an island, an island that he calls Patmos. Now, John is about 85 or 90 years old now. He is the last apostle standing. All of the others have died all of them have been martyred for the Lord Jesus. And here he is on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos was a small island. Uh, I got to visit it a few months ago, and I was blessed to be able to stand in the same area where John the Revelator stood. But it is a rocky, rugged terrain. And in the New Testament days, at least the last, cent- the last decade of that first century it was used as a penal colony. It was a place where people were banished, and John says that he has been persecuted, he has been banished to this island. Now, John had seen persecution through the years. He had experienced it in his own life, and he had seen it throughout the other apostles' lives. In the book of Acts, it says that his brother James was martyred by Herod Agrippa, so he had to see his own brother killed. And then 30 years prior to the revelation, he saw Nero, the emperor. He saw him execute both Peter and Paul. So persecution had been around in the church's life. Now John was experiencing it. And the whole church was experiencing it. Because in this time that the revelation is written, at this moment when John is at Patmos, There is an emperor, his name is Domitian, and he has launched a full assault against the church. He's coming against the church with everything that he has. As a matter of fact, history tells us that the emperor sets out to try to discover all of Jesus' known family. He will find Jesus' two great nephews, the grandsons of his brother Jude. And he will try to find out what their intentions are about the kingdom. Because Domitian was so, he was so scared that the kingdom of David would rise again. And he was trying to destroy all of Christianity, all of Judaism. And he came against with the church with great persecution. This is the setting for the revelation. And Domitian is the one that turned John toward Patmos. And Patmos... John would be there for 18 months, exiled. This elderly man doing manual labor, persecuted. And notice how he describes himself again in verse 9. It says, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm your companion in this. The the literal language there is I'm the co-sharer. I'm the one that's sharing with you in this suffering, in this tribulation, in this problem. I'm there with you in this patient time because patience here means that you are dwelling under something. It's like you have a burden and you are collapsing, you are struggling underneath that burden. And John says, I'm there with you. I'm there with you and I am suffering with you. He receives this revelation of Jesus. He sees Jesus while he is going through some of the most difficult times of his life. Now stop here, because here's where we need to recognize that God sees us. Because before we can see him adequately, we need to know that God sees us in who we are, in our struggles, with our difficulties. There's John, again, the old apostle, there on Patmos, and you would think he had been forgotten. But, but God, but Jesus Christ, his friend, his master, he still knew where John was. He knew what the struggles were in his life. He could see John just like he can see us today. Because our God can still see all the struggles we're going through. Did you know that when the doctor diagnoses you with cancer, God can still see you? Do you know that when your marriage is struggling, about to fall apart, God still sees you? Did you know when your, bill, when your business is about to collapse, He can still see you? Every struggle... Whether it is an emotional struggle of depression, whether it's a physical issue of sickness, our God sees what's happening. And there's John. He's going through this persecution, the difficulty. And not just John, but all of the church, they're experiencing this as well. And Jesus can see this. And he knows what's going on. And this is what we need to note. When he sees us, he knows that we need to see him. When he sees our struggles, he knows that we need to see his strength. When he sees our groanings, he knows that we need to see his greatness. When you look at the biblical record, you will see how God will demonstrate himself strong and majestic and glorious and great. Especially when people are going through tough times. Especially when the struggles of his people are evident you look at the biblical record for example Isaiah 6 some of you have been studying that in Sunday school but Isaiah 6 it says in the year that King Uzziah died so this is the year where like the nation goes through a leadership change the king dies and it says in that same moment Isaiah has a vision of God and it is a vision of God up on his throne Totally different, totally unique, totally in control. Isaiah has a vision. Because when people are at their weakest moment, their most difficult struggle, that's where you need to see God high and lifted up. Isaiah 6 would give you that example. Ezekiel 1 would give you that example. In Ezekiel 1, the people, they're in bondage in Babylon. They're in slavery. And what does God do? God comes again to the prophet Ezekiel, and God gives him a vision. A vision of, of himself high on the throne. And again, here's Revelation 1. And the people are going through persecution, as I noted. Actually, 20 or 25 years before, the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed, and Christians, of course, had been persecuted throughout this time under the emperor Domitian. So here they're going through this difficulty. And what do we see? We see, again, this vision of Jesus that John is going to receive. And he's going to pass on because he wants those believers, just as he would want us today, to have comfort and strength in who God is. Because he can see us, he sees our struggles, he sees our groanings, and he invites us then to see him. There's blessing in that. It, it gives you perspective. Verse 3 even says that you are happy and joyful when you read the book of Revelation because you're able to see who Jesus is. You're able to experience in him and his glory and his majesty. It puts everything in perspective. All areas of our lives. I remember some years ago I was reading a book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching by a John Piper and John Piper relates in that book how one Sunday there was a couple who came in to his church to hear him preach now this couple had been going through a lot of issues in their marriage they've been going through a lot of difficulty and they were hoping as they would come to church that they would find something that would help bring reconciliation well when they walked in they sat down and they heard John Piper begin to preach And Piper preached from a passage, the passage I noted earlier, Isaiah chapter 6, which talks again about God high upon the throne and how Isaiah the prophet responds to that scene by committing himself to God's mission and God's purpose. Now, you wouldn't think Isaiah 6 would communicate necessarily to a marriage that's in trouble. You would think that they would have wanted to hear what I might call a Home Depot sermon. A Home Depot sermon is a to-do sermon. In other words, when you come in, you, you hear preachers give a how-to on certain things like marriage, and there are places for Home Depot sermons. But that day, John Piper had preached this message about God, who is glorious, who is majestic, and if you could see him, you could see a picture of him in his holiness. Well, if you could see that it would impact every area of your life and help put things in perspective. Do you know that that couple came to him after the service and said basically that God had used that message to bring perspective to their life, to help them see not just the difficulties, but to help them see the grandeur of God in such a way that they could find reconciliation together. Because, you know, when you're able to see God and you're able to see all of his goodness and greatness, it brings the other things in perspective. So much of the difficulties we think we have around us, they melt when we begin to see the greatness of God. So here's John. He's going through a tough time, and so are the people of God. There is a struggle one of the reasons I think that this book can communicate to us today, how we are in a struggle. In so many ways, I feel like we are co sharers. We are bearing up under the load because every week, every month, there seems to be something else that comes against us. Maybe a satanic attack that is coming against God's people. But you and I, we need to simply see Him. He sees us, and then He wants us to see Him in his greatness. And we can see him. Look in verse 10. It says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So John was there on Patmos, but he was worshiping. He was worshiping on that Sunday. It's like the Lord's day, the first day of the week. He was having a worship service. He was intentional about seeking the Lord. I believe that When we're to see Jesus, it often comes out of our intentional efforts. We're intentionally trying to seek him and follow him in what he wants for our lives. For example, you're here at church this morning, or maybe you're online. You made some type of decision to tune in or to show up so that you could hear a message, so that you could worship. You came intentionally. And I believe as you come intentionally and you try to remove the distractions of your life, you can see Jesus. Oh, but you have to focus. And you do have to remove some of those distractions and obstacles so that you can see. Because you get so frustrated when you're trying to see, but you allow those obstacles to somehow uh, blur your vision. You know, pre-COVID, my family and I, we like to travel to Disney. If you've been around me, if you've heard me preach, you've probably heard me talk about Disney World trips. And one of the things we love about Disney World, we love the parades. Always have. And right now, I know you can't uh, gather for parades. They're not even doing parades. But all those pre-COVID moments, to be able to go and see a parade, Disney does a parade like no other. And what we would do as a family is we would know exactly the parade route and we know the best place that we could see and we would gather intentionally like we would we'd show up hours before so that we could get the right spot so that we could see especially when my children were younger we would maybe get our lunch or our dinner and we would take it with us we would sit down right there and we would eat and as the time got closer for the parade the crowd would begin to press in There would be people who would begin gathering all around you. And you had to like stake out your position. You had to make sure that you stood right where you could so that you could see. Because these folks, they would start kind of, they would press in on you and they would get so close and try to look. There are many times I thought I would lose my testimony. I started to go Old Testament on them several different moments. Because I wanted to see. I wanted to be able to see clearly. Here's John. He's going through all these difficulties, all this persecution, and he still goes before the presence of God to worship. I I believe right now this is a time for us to worship. When we look at all the struggles around us, this is the time when we need to bear down intentionally and hear from God and see what he is doing in our lives. He wants to show us his greatness in the most difficult hour. Here, John is worshiping. And the Bible says in verse 10 that he heard behind him a loud voice as of a trumpet. So the trumpet in some way sounds, this voice sounds, verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamus, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He says, I want you to write to these churches. I want you to speak to them. Now, these churches are not exhaustive of all the churches in Asia Minor, which is now present-day Turkey, but they're representative. And these are churches that he'll speak to. The Bible also says in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. So he says he looks around, and he sees these lampstands. Now, the lampstands are identified for us in verse 20. I do love this about the first chapter at least. We are left with no confusion. We know exactly what these things are because Jesus interprets these symbols for us. In verse 20, he said, the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So in other words, here's Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. Jesus is in the midst of the church. He's in the midst of the churches. What's going on with the people of God? How that's comforting for us today. As we think about seeing him, we know we can see him because he's in our midst. He's here. He's always with us. And he is walking in the church life. He's walking within us even now. And then the picture. He's like the son of man. This is Jesus' favorite descriptor that he will use of himself the son of man. Most of the time you think about it in his humanity, that he was human. And Jesus was certainly human. But this title, son of man, also speaks to his deity, to his greatness. Look, if you will, like in Daniel chapter 7. It's been said you can't understand the revelation unless you understand Daniel, because there's a lot of background in Daniel that speaks to the revelation. In Daniel chapter 7, for example, in verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So hear that. The same type of language that John uses in the Revelation to describe Jesus, the Son of Man. The one who is coming in clouds. Because this is the great one. This is the Ancient of Days that John is seeing. He identifies him as the Son of Man. He says he was clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. It is a reference to Jesus' priestly ministry. Because almost exclusively in the Old Testament, when that terminology is used, it is speaking to the high priest or to the priest that would go to God on behalf of the people and go to the people on behalf of God. His head and hair were White like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Here again, that same language, back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. The same type of language. The idea of the white hair, the white head, communicates wisdom, eternity. You know, I've noticed lately as I look in the mirror, I've got a little more wisdom up there, I believe. I'm I'm hoping to hold on to my hair. I'm hoping it will stay the color it is for some time. But I know at some moment, it's probably going to at least change colors I've always thought when I got a little older, though, I didn't want it just to be white. I wanted to be able to have that rinse where it's a little blue, maybe even a little purple. It shows some type of wisdom as you get older. And here, this is Jesus who bears out wisdom. He is the ancient of days, the everlasting to everlasting. It says that he was... The one that had eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, his penetrating eyes upon everyone that he would look at. His feet that were foundational like fine brass. And the voice is the sound of many waters. And then in verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now most of this description John had really not seen Jesus in this kind of form. I mean, he had walked with Jesus. He had seen him in his humanity. Yes, he had seen him post-resurrection. But this was a glorified state that Jesus is in. And the only thing that had come close was when Peter, James, and John were there, and they saw the transfiguration when Jesus changed forms and his son or his face shine like the sun itself the same type of language but what a vision what a picture of who Jesus is and i'm going to say to you today that you and i need to catch this vision we need to see him in his glory we need to see him in his brightness we need to see him in his greatness especially when all this stuff's going on around us right now we need to catch a new vision Of who he is. I'm afraid that some of us in our churches. We've lost this ability to see God. In his glorious state. In his glorious nature. And yet right here. It's given to us by John. So that we can see it again. And notice the natural response. Verse 17 it says. When I saw him. I fell at his feet. As dead. I would translate it something like when I saw this great vision of who Jesus was and what Jesus has done, even though I was close to him, there was still awe and holiness that struck me and I fell as a dead one before him. When was the last time you experienced the glory of God in such a way that it overwhelmed you and you just had to to bow before him? You had to place yourself on the ground in a lowly position to pray, to worship, to recognize who he is and what he has done. When was the last time? We need God to move in our churches in such a way that we would see him like this. You know, I'm grateful to know that he is close. I'm grateful to know that he is a friend that sticks closer than any brother, anybody else in our lives. But I'm also grateful to know that there is such a God that is so great and so different, so holy, unlike me, that deserves every bit of our worship and devotion. And God needs to drive us to our knees with that sense of awe and holiness. Now, I do love the tenderness of this the intimacy that's communicated in this verse as well because it says in verse 17 but he laid his right hand on me so picture this here's this great God but also this Jesus who had known John for all of these years John had walked with him for three and a half years basically of ministry had seen him teach and do miracles and now for 60 years, he had testified of this Jesus that he had loved, the Jesus that had been resurrected and ascended into heaven. And as he sees this great vision, he falls down. It is now Jesus, his friend, who walks over and places his hand on John. And he says, John, O friend, do not fear. I love those words. You find them sprinkled throughout the Bible to bring encouragement, to bring some type of uh, exhortation, strength to people. Do not fear. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Because when you see the picture of Jesus, it is a glorious picture. But know that it is a picture that communicates sovereignty. Sovereignty means what? Authority. That there is authority in Jesus. Jesus says, I was a dead one. Now look on the play of words here. John says, I fell as a dead one. Jesus said, no, no, no. I was a dead one, literally. But now I am alive. He had been resurrected and there was life in him. And he says that through that resurrection, through the ministry, through everything that Jesus had done, Jesus had communicated that he had control and authority over life itself. And he still has authority over life. He has authority over every area of our life today. He says that he holds the keys. To the kingdom. He holds the keys actually to Hades and death itself. In the New Testament, you held a key, you had authority. Even today, if you have keys, you have some type of authority. Say you have a key to your house. That means you have the authority to enter into your house. You have keys that go into your ignition. That means that you can actually turn your car or truck on. If you don't have that key, you don't have that access. I hate to admit this, it's rather embarrassing, but a few months ago, I walked out of Super One, and as I was walking down trying to get ready to put my groceries and stuff in a vehicle, I came to what I thought was my vehicle. It looked very similar. I did all that I needed to do. I went in, I tried to get in, it was actually unlocked i got in for a moment and i looked around and the environment seemed well it seemed different to me i mean it looked right on the outside but in the side that just didn't seem the same there was a lot of tech stuff that was there which was cool but i didn't remember having tech stuff in my vehicle looked over i saw a few uh horseshoe casino stubs i don't remember seeing that in my vehicle there were a few beer cans on the bottom. I certainly didn't remember having that in my vehicle. And I thought to myself, I'm in the wrong place. No wonder my key wouldn't work. No wonder I couldn't get this thing started. I mean, I'm in Jason Walsworth's vehicle. Why would I think I could start it with my key? Actually, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Jason's, it was Casey's. But you have to have the key to have the authority to be able to turn the vehicle on. And Jesus said, I got the... I got the key to death and to Hades itself. I'm the one that holds the keys. I'm the one that holds the authority. And again, for those who are going through struggling moments, those who are persecuted, you need to know that not only is he glorious in his appearance, but he is powerful in his actions. That he has authority over life. If he defeated sin and death and hell itself, through the resurrection, that means he has authority over all things this day. And it also means he has the authority over the church itself. Because in verse 19 and verse 20, John will record the words of Jesus which say, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches themselves. Jesus said, you write. Because Jesus had the authority to speak to these churches. He says, you write to them. In the next few weeks, we'll talk about some of the messages. And he says... You communicate to them on my behalf. Here he is holding literally the stars, which are the messengers, the angels, the pastors perhaps. He holds them in his hand because he has authority. He has authority over the church itself. Don't miss this. He has authority over all things of life, but he has authority over your life. And here you are this morning. Here you are watching online or perhaps On campus you're watching can you see him can you see who he is see he he's already figured out who you are he knows exactly what's going on in your life this morning he knows whether you're there at your house or he knows whether you're sitting there in that sanctuary or there in the gathering he knows exactly what's going on he knows every struggle He knows that some of you came in here this morning with rebellious children and you're struggling through that. He knows some of you have come this morning and because of all the events that are going on around you, it's compounded and you are in some type of depression right now. He knows when your finances are struggling. He sees you. But what I want to ask you again is, can you see him? Because if you see him this morning in this glorious state, in this high on the throne position, if you see him as the one that has authority over all of life, over the church, over everything in your life, then today you can find encouragement if you can see him. You need to put away the distractions. You need to move back the obstacles. You need to be intentional. And you need to see with the eyes of John how great of a God that you serve. In just a few moments, her musicians are going to come and they're going to play and there's going to be a staff member. Maybe right now you're overwhelmed. Right now you feel like you are burdened, that you have something just weighing down upon you. I want you today to, to come. As God calls you, as he speaks to you, as he shows you himself, I want you to come and I want you to speak to that staff member. Or maybe right where you are, right where you are, maybe just a moment for you to bow, to you, for you to do a little business with the great God above. Maybe just to be reminded that he's still on his throne. And as you come to him, as you see him, I promise you that he is able to encourage and comfort and show you the greatness, the authority that he has. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you this morning, and even though I'm not there in person, Lord, you are taking this message and you're going to use it for your good and your glory. God, there are some right now that are just as troubled as that early church was. There are some who look around us and perhaps they see this pandemic or perhaps they see their own family's issues. Whatever it is, Lord, right now, they are totally overwhelmed. God, I pray that this day, that we would catch a vision and glimpse of a God that is above, that is great, that is holy, that is on the throne and Lord as we catch that glimpse of that God that Lord it would put in perspective the things that we are dealing here on this earth and Lord that we know that you can move on our behalf that you're walking in the midst even now of this church that you're trying to show us who you truly are Lord help us see help us follow you Help us even now during this moment of commitment to respond in a state of awe, in a state of reverence, in a state of submission. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.